Well, good morning, New Day. So good to see you guys. Thanks so much for coming out for the continuation of our study through Matthew's Gospel. Last week was Football Sunday. I got to give a quick report. We had an incredible day uh, last week for Football Sunday. Uh, 2,055 in attendance, 38 first-time guests, and most importantly, 15 people accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. Give the Lord a hand. Now, I got to let you know, I am no less excited about today, even though it's not one of our big days, because today we are diving into God's Word and we are learning to follow Jesus more closely, and that always uh, excites me. So again, thanks so much for being here today as we continue our study through Matthew's Gospel. Our text today is Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 to 42, and our theme this week, say it out loud with me, would you? It's limited verification, limited verification. I'm sure by now you all have heard that by 2025, uh, we have to update our driver's licenses to what is now called a real ID by a show of hands. Who has already updated to a real ID? Okay, some of you. Who here is like, it's not due till 2025, so why am I even thinking about it right now? Okay, we got some of those too. Uh, We are all wired very different, and thank God for that, Um, different by design. Uh, But for me, the way that I'm wired is when I hear I have to do something, it weighs on me like a weight, you know? I have this burden on my shoulders until I check it off my to-do list. And so when I learned uh, we needed to update uh, the driver's licenses, I just went and got it done. And it was a really interesting process. Uh, I had to show up to the RMV in Springfield, Massachusetts in person, couldn't do it by phone, couldn't do it by mail, couldn't do it by email, had to show up in person. And what they required were three proofs uh, of your identity. First, they wanted me to uh, prove that I was born here in the good old U.S. of A. And so I needed to give them my birth certificate. Second, I had to show that I was uh, in possession of a social security number. So, of course, I had to bring my social security card and uh, no photocopies were accepted. So you had to bring the real thing, the genuine article. And then third, I had to show that I lived here. So I provided several utility bills that had my uh, name and my home address on them just to prove my residency. And in this way, I confirmed my identity with the RMV and received my real ID. And now they know that I am the real Michael Raymond Sorsonelli and not the fake one, okay? So I just went through this process. My wife just went through this process. Uh, My daughter, Allison, just went through this process. And to get verified, we each had to establish our identity three different ways. Now, what I want to point out is that Though we had to uh, verify our identity in multiple ways, uh, I I want you to note that we didn't have to uh, verify our identity in unlimited ways. What they didn't do was say, now that we have three proofs of your identity, we're also going to need you to provide the amount of federal tax you paid in 2006. We're going to need your height and weight as recorded by your doctor at your physical annual uh, when you were 11 years old. And then we're also going to need 16 sworn affidavits from friends, family members, neighbors, co-workers uh, that, that are saying uh, you are who you claim to be. Three verifications, no problem. 20 verifications, absolutely ridiculous because it's just not needed. They only require limited verification because that's what's reasonable. And that's all that's really needed to truly confirm 
one's identity. Now, this being the case, God the Father has made sure to verify Jesus' identity as Savior of the world in three different ways. Everyone was supposed to know who Jesus really was when he showed up, first, because of fulfilled prophecies, second, because of performed miracles, and third, because of various demonstrations of divine power. God provided three forms of verification because that's what's reasonable, and that's really all that's required to truly confirm that someone is who they claim to be, as we've just seen with the example of the real ID. And I bring this up because in our text today, we're going to see the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the nation of Israel, asking God for not verification, rather for unlimited verification. They're basically going to say, God, we know that you've provided uh, all that's reasonable and all that's needed to confirm Jesus's identity, but God, we want even more confirmation. And long story short, God's message to them in our text, as well as God's message to us is this, hey, I'm only going to provide limited verification. I will give you a basis for faith. I will give you numerous reasons to believe, but I'm not going to give you an unlimited amount. Now, where our story picks up today, Jesus has just finished uh, chastising the Pharisees for committing the unpardonable sin, which was blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And where our story picks up today, Jesus is on the tail end of this chastisement. So Jesus has just uh, rebuked them, and, and now we pick up with them responding to Jesus. So if you're taking notes today, uh, you can pull them out, and I'll point out to you that the first thing we see in our passage today is what we're going to call the request. Number one, the request. And we see this in verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Now, I've just explained that Jesus has already provided three signs. He's performed specific miracles. He's fulfilled specific prophecies. And he's demonstrated uh, his divine power. So understand, when they say, Jesus, uh, give us a sign, they're asking for Jesus to give them even more signs than he's already provided. And specifically, what they're asking is a sign from heaven. So what they're saying is, Jesus, why don't you just go ahead and do uh, what God did for Joshua in Joshua chapter, chapter 10? Jesus, just caused the sun to stand still. And if you'll do that, Jesus, we'll believe. They're saying, Jesus, just go ahead and do what God did for Hezekiah in Isaiah chapter 38. Just cause the sun to move backwards. Jesus, if you just do that, then we'll believe. Jesus, just go ahead and do what you did for Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18. Jesus, just cause fire to rain down from heaven. And if we see the fire raining down from heaven, the moment that you ask for it, then we'll know that you truly are the Messiah 
the great king that God promised to send into the world who would rescue mankind from the penalty that God's law demands for sin, which is death. Jesus, just give us a sign. Now, in Matthew 12, it just says, Jesus, give us a sign. But we know from Matthew chapter 16, verse 1, take a look, that they were asking specifically to show them a sign from heaven. So they're asking for something even grander than all the signs that Jesus has already given them. They want him to do something spectacular, like God the Father did in the Old Testament. So number one, the request. Lord, would you give us a sign? Okay, now the second thing we see in our text, we're going to call this the rebuke. So the religious leaders ask for a sign. And this leads to Jesus giving them, not a sign, rather a rebuke. And we see the rebuke in the first part of verse 39, where Jesus says this, an evil and adulterous generation seeks or asks for a sign. So the Pharisees' request results in Jesus's rebuke. Now, this is really confusing. At least it was to me when I uh, began studying for this uh, sermon uh, a couple weeks ago. And it was confusing because immediately in my mind, I could think of uh, numerous Old Testament examples where uh, someone asked God for a sign and he wasn't upset. And so I was like confused. God, why? I, I, don't, I don't get it. So I had to begin digging in. But let me just show you that asking for a sign in and of itself is not what's evil. And we know this from the example of Gideon and we know this from the example of Moses. Let me explain. God had told Gideon, I'm going to use you to deliver the nation of Israel from her enemies. And so here's what Gideon, in response, said to God. If you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me this way. I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that is just what happened. When Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowlful of water. Then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test. This time, let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet with dew. So that night, God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. So long story short, when Gideon asked God for a sign, God acquiesced to his request, giving him not one sign, but two. And God doesn't seem to begrudge having given Gideon what he asked for. And friends, it was the same way with Moses. When God called Moses to deliver the Israelites from their slavery in Egypt, here's what Moses said to God. What if they won't believe me? Or listen to me. What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, Moses, what's that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake. So naturally Moses jumped back. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform this sign, the Lord told him. Then they will believe that the Lord, 
the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob really has appeared to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, now put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out again, his hand was white as snow with a severe skin disease. Now put your hand back into your cloak, the Lord said. So Moses put his hand back in, and when he took it out again, it was healthy as the rest of his body. The Lord said to Moses, if they do not believe you and are not convinced by the first miraculous sign, then they will be convinced by the second, meaning most of them will be convinced then by the second. But verse 9, if they don't believe you or listen to you, even after these first two signs, then here's the third sign. Go ahead and take some of the water from the Nile and pour it out on the ground. When you do, the water from the Nile will turn to blood on the ground. So long story short, whereas God gave Gideon two signs, God provided Moses with three. And from these two examples, we learn that it is not evil in and of itself to ask God for a sign. God has no problem giving a sign when there's something important that he needs us to believe and no verification has yet been given. But the reason that it was evil of the scribes and Pharisees to request a sign was because God had already provided sign after sign after sign. God knew the Israelites needed a little help to believe that Moses was sent from God. He knew that. He knew that they would need help to believe that Moses was sent from God, so he provided signs. Likewise, God knew that the people of Israel would need a little help to believe that Jesus, in the same way, was sent from God. So he provided numerous signs. God graciously provided these signs to give the people a basis by which they might believe. But for the scribes and the Pharisees, this wasn't enough. They asked for even more. And here's why asking for more was considered by Jesus to be an evil act. Because in asking for more, it revealed that they had wicked hearts. Their request revealed that they actually weren't looking for reasons to believe like Gideon. No, they were looking for excuses not to. Had Jesus given them the sign that they asked for, causing fire to rain down from heaven or causing the sun to stand still, they would no doubt have come up with an explanation for how Jesus wasn't responsible for what happened. And we know this because that's exactly what they did when Jesus cast out demons earlier in the chapter we're studying today. Earlier on in chapter 12, Jesus cast out demons and they said, oh, it's by Beelzebub, the prince of all demons, which is another name for Satan, that Jesus casts out demons. So Jesus performed a, a miraculous deed and they just said, oh, well, let me tell you, everybody, why Jesus actually isn't the one responsible for this. No, 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 Satan's responsible for this. So Jesus knew that no matter what sign he gave them, they were just determined not to believe. And this is why after their request, Jesus responds with a rebuke. Only a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. In other words, only wicked people would keep on asking for signs to mask their stubborn refusal to believe. 
So understand, Jesus is actually calling them out on their hypocrisy. To be a hypocrite means to be an actor. And that's exactly what the scribes and Pharisees were doing. They were acting like if Jesus would just give them one more sign, one more sign from heaven, then they would believe when in reality they were determined not to believe no matter what. And that's why Jesus issues his severe rebuke. So that's number two, the rebuke. But I want to point out that though Jesus has rebuked them for asking, Jesus, will you give us a sign? Jesus has not yet technically answered their question. But don't worry, that's what we see thirdly in our text. The third thing we see is what we're going to call the refusal, where now Jesus directly answers the question. And we see this in verses 39 to 40, where Jesus says this, no sign will be given to it, meaning to this evil generation, except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Here Jesus says, I refuse to give to you the sign that you're asking for. I'm not going to cause fire to rain down from heaven. I'm not going to cause the sun to stand still, nor will I cause it to move backwards. I'm not going to do that. Because even if I did, you still wouldn't believe. Besides, there's no messianic prophecy that says when Messiah comes, he will cause the sun to stand still. He will cause the sun to move backwards. Uh, He will rain down fire from heaven. No, there weren't any prophecies that said these are the things Messiah will do when he comes. So Jesus just flat out uh, refuses their request to give him the kind of sign from heaven that they're looking for. But now that Jesus has established, no, I will not give you the kind of sign that you're looking for, Jesus does go ahead and inform them that another sign from heaven will be given. Not the one they're asking for, but there will be another sign that will verify uh, that he is who he claimed to be. And Jesus says the sign that's coming was foreshadowed through the life of the prophet Jonah. In the same way that Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus here, of course, is referring to his resurrection. And Jesus was willing to perform uh, this sign from heaven, his own resurrection from the dead, because the prophet David said in Psalm chapter 16, verse 10, that God would not leave Messiah's soul among the dead or allow him to rot in the grave. So Jesus is going to give another sign because the Old Testament scriptures foretold that he would. And so he was willing to give them that sign, but not the ones they were asking for. Now, tragically, the day came when Jesus performed that sign. And tragically, even then, the scribes and the Pharisees didn't believe. That's why Jesus never gave gave him a sign in the first place. He knew no matter what he did, they wouldn't believe. I mean, when Jesus resurrected from the dead, when the tomb was found to be empty, did they say, oh my goodness, everything Jesus said uh, was true. I believe. No, they said, oh, his disciples came and somehow magically overpowered the Roman guards, the elite, highly trained Roman guards who would be held responsible by death if uh, anyone came in and stole the body. Oh yeah, the disciples came and overpowered them. You know, it's like saying, uh, you know, me and you went and we overcame SEAL Team 6 and we just, you know, 
It's just so ridiculous. So when Jesus cast out demons, they said, oh, no, that's by the power of Satan. When he resurrected from the dead, they said, oh, his disciples just came and stole the body. So it's no wonder Jesus wouldn't give them another sign. He knew that it would do no good. Because he was dealing with people with evil hearts who refused to believe no matter what. These were people who had more than enough reason to believe, but had just made up their minds not to. And here's Jesus's perspective on their unbelief. We find this in John chapter 10, verses 37 to 38. Jesus said to his critics, don't believe me unless I carry out my father's work. But if I do his work, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works that I've done, even if you don't believe me, then you will know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. Jesus here says, I actually gave you all that you needed to have a basis for faith just in the miracles I performed. Never mind to mention the prophecies I fulfilled or the demonstrations of divine power that you've seen me perform. The, the miracles of healing alone gave you a solid basis for belief. But I did more than that, and yet you still don't believe. And it was because of this stubborn and evil refusal to believe that Jesus, in the last part of our text, now begins to speak to them about what it will be like for them at the coming judgment. So friends, number one, the request. Number two, the rebuke. Number three, the refusal. And now number four, the reproach. Number four, the reproach. And we see this in verses 41 to 42, where Jesus says, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Likewise, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and will likewise condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Friends, what Jesus is saying is this. The people of Nineveh had so much less to go on, yet they believed Jonah. Jesus is saying, you, the people of my generation, you have so much to go on, yet you refuse to believe me. Jonah came to the people of Nineveh, and he didn't fulfill any prophecies. He didn't perform any miracles of healing. He didn't show any demonstrations of divine power. And he certainly didn't die and then resurrect from the dead to authenticate that he truly was a messenger sent from God. All he did was come and say, hey, God spoke to me. I'm here to share with you his message. He says, repent of your sins or you will be destroyed. You got 40 days. And they all said, uh, we believe. We believe. So, because of this, come judgment day, the citizens of Nineveh will rise up in condemnation of the people who lived during Jesus' time because they had so much to go on, yet they refused to believe Jesus. The citizens of Nineveh will say, we had so little to go on, yet we believed Jonah. You had so much to go on, yet you refused to believe Jesus. That was foolish, and your condemnation is now warranted. Likewise, at the coming judgment, the queen of the south 
which is a reference to the Queen of Sheba, the one who came and visited Solomon. Uh, she's called the Queen of the South because Israel's here, and then 1,200 miles southeast of the nation of Israel lived the Queen of Sheba. So the Queen of the South, the Queen of Sheba. She also at the judgment is going to join in with the citizens of Nineveh saying that God is justified in condemning the generation that lived with Jesus. And the reason she's going to condemn it is this. She's going to say, hey, when I heard that God's wisdom resided in Solomon, when I realized that Solomon had a message from God, I was willing to travel 1,200 miles during a day and age where there were no highways. So I risked life and limb to come and hear a message from God. And here you are living right in the same land as Jesus, and you scorned his message. So the Ninevites repented, the Jews did not, even though the Jews were sent someone so much greater than Jonah. Likewise, the Queen of Sheba welcomed God's messages, while the Jews did not, even though the Jews were given a messenger so much greater than Solomon. In Matthew 3.11, we learn that Jesus was greater than John the Baptist. In Matthew 12.6, we learn that Jesus was greater than the Jewish temple. In Matthew 12.8, we learn that Jesus was greater than the Sabbath law, for Jesus was and is Lord of the Sabbath. And now today, in our text, we learn that Jesus is also greater than the prophet Jonah, as well as greater than Israel's greatest king, Solomon. Yet, the scribes and Pharisees as a whole right along with the rest of the nation, refused to believe in him. And that's why Jesus says all they're going to receive at the coming judgment is condemnation and reproach from the people of Nineveh, from the queen of the south, as well as from God himself. Now I want to personalize the message. Now that we've worked our way through the text, let's talk about how it applies to you and to me. As I stated earlier, the theme of this passage, let's see who is paying attention. The theme of this passage is, I know those online couldn't hear that, but they said limited verification. You got it right. Great job. Great job. Great job. The theme of the passage is limited verification. In other words, God is trying to teach us through this passage that he doesn't provide unlimited verification concerning Jesus being the savior of the world. Oh, he knows that believing can sometimes be hard to do. So he has lovingly and graciously provided us with all the evidence, all the proof, all the verification that he thinks is reasonable to give us a basis for faith. And again, we've actually covered four verifications concerning Jesus's identity. As we now kind of wind things down and bring things uh, to a close here, I want to review these together in case you missed it along the way. Verification number one that God has given to you and to me is this. Jesus fulfilled many specific prophecies. And friends, I want you to understand that many of these prophecies Jesus had no control over. He couldn't control that he descended from Abraham. He couldn't control that he descended from David. He couldn't control that he was born in Bethlehem. He couldn't control that he was born of the virgin, so on and so forth. Yet Jesus fulfilled these as well as many other specific prophecies. And that's the first verification that he is the Messiah God promised to send into the world. 
Verification number two is this. Jesus not only fulfilled many specific prophecies, secondly, Jesus also performed many specific miracles. Now, friends, in the Old Testament, God intentionally chose not to open the eyes of the blind. He chose not to make the lame walk. He chose not to make the deaf hear. And he chose not to make the mute sing for joy. And the reason he chose not to do those things was because God was saving those specific miracles of healing for the Messiah to perform what he came so that everyone would know who he was. And friends, history, the record of history shows us that when Jesus arrived and began his public ministry, there was an explosion of these very kinds of miracles. So the second verification that God has given to you and to me that Jesus is his Messiah, that he is the Savior of the world, is he performed so many specific miracles that were reserved for Messiah to perform when he came. All right, verification number three. The third way we're to know that Jesus is who he claimed to be is Jesus demonstrated divine power. Friends, only God can heal disease, yet Jesus healed disease. Only God can command nature, yet Jesus commanded nature. Only God has dominion over the demonic realm. I got to give a little preview for next week. Next week, I will be sharing with you what was probably one of the hardest sermons I have ever put together, and it's all about the demonic realm. Super interesting, very practical. You're going to love it. Make sure you're here next week. But I digress. Only God can exercise dominion over the demonic realm, yet Jesus exercised dominion over the demonic realm. Only God can forgive sin, yet Jesus demonstrated his ability to forgive sin. And finally, only God can raise the dead. Only God has that power, the power of life and death. Yet numerous times throughout his ministry, Jesus raised people from the dead, including himself after he was crucified. And as if these manifold verifications weren't enough, we have a fourth verification, a fourth sign from heaven that Jesus was indeed sent from God and is the Savior of the world. Number four, Jesus rose from the dead. Now, God is saying to us today, through this passage, through the words that the Apostle Matthew wrote, if these verifications aren't enough for you, if after all this, your response to me is, just give me another sign, and then I'll believe. God's saying to us, I've got nothing for you at the coming judgment except for condemnation and reproach. If God haven't hadn't already given us signs, if he hadn't already given us numerous confirmations concerning Jesus' identity, then there would be nothing wrong with us asking God for a sign, as Gideon did. But friends, God has already given us more than enough reason to believe. So if we ask for more signs, if we ask for more evidence, if we ask for more uh, verifications, if we ask for more reasons to believe than all the reasons God has already provided, it only reveals an evil heart. It only reveals that we have a heart that isn't looking to believe. It reveals that we have a heart that's looking not to, just like the scribes and the Pharisees. 
The reality is many people hide behind. If God would just show me a sign, then I'd believe. When in reality, they're determined in their heart not to believe no matter what. And should God actually give them the sign they're asking for, they would attribute it to some natural uh, phenomenon versus to Jesus. So of course, Jesus just denies us even giving us those signs that we might ask for. Many people pretend that the issue is that God has not given enough reason to believe when the real issue is that believing in God would put moral boundaries on our lives that many of us just don't want to submit to. Friends, I plead with you today not to repeat the folly of the scribes and the Pharisees. That's what God is calling us to do through this passage. Do not repeat the folly of the scribes and the Pharisees. God has provided all we need to believe on Jesus as Lord and Savior. So all that's left to do is stop being stubborn and believe that we might be spared eternal condemnation and reproach at the coming judgment. God might not have provided us with all the evidence that we want, but what we need to understand today is this. He has provided us with all the evidence that we need. He's given us all the verification that's needed to confirm his true identity. If God was to provide any more than he's already provided, then this journey through life that we're traveling down, this, this road that we're traveling down through life, we would not have a walk of faith Friends, if God provided any more than he's already provided, then it would be the walk of sight. But as the Apostle Paul reminds us, we walk by faith, not by sight. Again, here's your last fill in the blank. We might not have all the evidence we want, but we do have all the evidence we need to believe on Jesus as the Savior of the world to believe on Jesus as our personal Savior, the one who can save us from God's penalty for sin, which is death. So again, I plead with you to believe. The question before us is this today. Uh, who is going to die for your sins, you or Jesus? The question before us today is this. What do you want at the coming judgment? To receive eternal condemnation or to receive eternal life. It really is just that straightforward of a decision. And if today you've realized, you know what? God's right. He has already provided all that is needed to have a basis of faith. And today's the day you want to receive eternal life and get yourself off the path that leads towards eternal condemnation. Then I want to invite you to pray with me as we end our time together. So wherever you are online, out in the foyer, or right here in the auditorium, would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes? And maybe in your heart, you'd say something along these lines to God. Say, Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much for graciously providing numerous verifications that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Heavenly Father, based on the signs that you have already provided, I believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And today I place my faith and my trust in him to forgive my sins, to spare me from eternal judgment, and instead provide for me eternal life. And God, I just praise you for this provision.
I am eternally grateful. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for experiencing this message with us. Do you want more New Day Church in your life? Well, please like and subscribe on YouTube and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Want to take a next step in your faith? Our Church Center app is the best place to get more connected. So just download the free app on your app store today and be sure to choose New Day Church in Enfield, Connecticut. We are able to offer this sermon and all others like it only because of your faithful financial support. Thank you to all of you who so faithfully give each week. If you feel led to support our ministry financially, just go to our website at newdaychurch.cc forward slash give. Thank you in advance. May God richly bless you and we hope to see you again real soon.